So, welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. My guest this week is Sarah Hart. Sarah graduated as a chiropractor almost 10 years ago, and up until 18 months ago was practicing in her own North London practice. She sold her business, however, to follow her real passion to explore the mental, emotional, and spiritual component of healing. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us this week. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, especially as it's actually a sunny day outside and uh, hopefully you're not one of those people who after one week, for those of you who don't know, British summer occurred last week. Um, (laughs) I'll be back again uh, next year. It will, exactly. And uh, most of the people I've been talking to can't actually speak because they're all like so totally allergic that uh, the hay fever kind of came down in a week. I'm suffering a bit myself. So hopefully you're not one of the sufferers. No, luckily I'm not. That's very good to hear. So Sarah, um, 10 years a chiropractor. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What was, what was the thing that actually attracted you to alternative therapies in the first place and specifically chiropractic? Um, that journey began for me when I was 13, actually. Uh, when I was 13, I woke up in the morning and I stretched and I heard this whopping crack in my neck and I couldn't move. It was excruciatingly painful. I had no idea what had happened. And luckily, my mum at the time had just started seeing a chiropractor. And so she took me to see him and he assessed me and he explained a little bit about misalignments, how that affects the nerves, muscles, joints, etc. He adjusted me in uh, that visit and I left with significantly better mobility in my neck and less pain than when I walked in. Um, and I thought that was pretty amazing, really. Um, and I continued to, to go and he explained a little bit about maintenance of the body, etc. And it's been part of my life ever since. And when I was about 16 and considering what I wanted to do with my life, I always had a fascination around medicine and I actually wanted to be a medical examiner, you know, cut up (laughs) dead people. Oh, I know a good joke about that. Remind me later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I wanted to be a medical examiner, but when we're 16, you have to go and do your work experience where you go to shadow someone. And so I thought, oh, I'll go and I'll go and shadow my chiropractor. And I spent two weeks there and I was amazed that I would say about over 95% of the people that were coming in were seeing good results, really happy, um, seeing improvements. And all he was using were his hands. No surgery, no drugs, just with his hands. And I was sold from then. That was it. I knew I wanted to be a chiropractor. So that was it. Rest is history. Great. And so what kind of conditions were you actually seeing? Um, Were they um, only sort of um, uh, skeletal problems, back problems, or were people coming to the chiropractor for other complaints as well? Uh, All sorts. I mean, the most common thing to come through the door really is probably lower back pain, neck pain and headaches. But um, as you know, we live in a society now where, you know, stress-related problems are rife and I would say pretty much 99.9% of people were also suffering with some form of chronic stress-related problem as well and then yes people did want to come in and just get their posture checked just wanted to boost their health and although you know we can never claim that you can see improvements in any other health conditions yes we found that by keeping the nervous system 
healthy, keeping your spine aligned, uh, brain and body firing, that there were multiple spin-offs improving health and well-being in, in many different areas and conditions. Great. Actually, curiously enough, chiropractic was was the area that that actually got me involved in in alternative therapies many many years ago. Much like your own story, my my mother was seeing a chiropractor for a um, herniated disc, mm-hmm. and I was suffering from very severe headaches and uh, was sold from then on in. Um, actually, ended up going down a different path, but that was definitely what worked my interest because it really is. It's it's pretty much like magic. I mean. For, for you know I remember with my mother they wanted to put her in a in a whole body cast and operate and you know she walked away two or three um, sessions later um, never having had to have that surgery the one thing that did always interest me though as far as she was concerned was that she got much worse after the first treatment can you speak a little bit about that because I know that that's the case with a lot of alternative therapies they have this phenomenon of getting worse before you get better absolutely that definitely can be the case especially if something has uh, been stuck for a long period of time and you get a build-up of of chronic inflammation you have this big compensation pattern that usually goes through the body which is where other areas um, take up the slack for one area not working well and then as soon as you start to mobilize or move an area or improve nerve signaling, you can get a rush of new blood flow. Um, you're moving an area that hasn't moved for a very long period of time, and you almost get a, an, an inflammatory response, short-term inflammatory response, which is part of the healing process. Um, but the impact of that is that sometimes you can experience pain. Mm-hmm. It's very, I would say, if, if we're going to use that word, a normal response initially. Right, <laughs> right. Fascinating. And could you also just maybe, um, because actually I think a lot of people are not clear about this, and I've been asked this question myself many times and haven't actually been able to accurately answer it. What exactly is the difference between chiropractic and osteopathy? The golden question. The golden question, yeah. Everybody asks. I mean, there are a lot of crossovers, honestly. If if any two professions are going to be more closely related, it's not going to be one more than chiropractic and osteopathy. Um, But there are some slight differences in philosophy. Um, Chiropractors are very much focused on the nervous system um, and the spine's connection to the nervous system. And we, we tend to focus mainly on spinal adjustments, whereas osteopaths seem to have more of a focus on muscle, blood flow. They do more mobilization techniques, which are slower movements, whereas associated with chiropractors is what we call high-velocity, low-amplitude adjustments. They're much quicker movements. Um, Also, there's some difference in training with X-rays. Chiropractors are are, uh, trained to to take and read x-rays osteopaths not i think they to read but not take um so but it also really comes down to the individual practitioner because you can go to see one chiropractor they have a set philosophy and way of working and you see a different one and it's different as well um, and the same with osteopathy so i don't know if that really answers your question it does it does very much so um what, what advice would you give um, to to a patient who was who was looking for some help? I mean, if you say it's very much dependent on the on the uh, person that you're seeing, and I think that's probably true for a lot of health related issues and and therapies. But what would be a good kind of rule of thumb um, to follow when you're looking for somebody? Is there a list of accredited accredited um, uh, practitioners, for example, in the UK? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go and see any chiropractors that are registered with the General Chiropractic Council. Um, so that means that they are regulated by that body. You have to do a certain amount of professional development um, and and abide by the certain regulations. Uh, also, there are different associations. So we have the British Chiropractic Association, which is a bit more traditional in its philosophy. Then we have the United Chiropractic Association, which I was a member of, which, again, we're all under the banner of the GCC, but there's really differences in philosophy. So the United Chiropractic Association is, I would say, a little more vitalistic in its philosophy, more holistic. Um, and so, so you can look in those different avenues. But I would personally say always go through a recommendation of a friend. Right. That's, that's what I would usually say. And then research that chiropractor, look up on their website, see if you feel that you resonate with them, um, with what their message is on their website, anything they put out on social media or honestly, even the way they look. <laughs> <laughs> Because we we do we have we have an affinity to certain people and not to others. So I would just go with somebody you resonate with, and then you can and go that's, and that's a very essential part of of the cure. Actually, isn't it? Is that the chemistry between the patient and the uh, practitioner is is a good one, a healthy one? Not always possible in the NHS when you have your assigned GP that you have to have to deal with. Absolutely. I would just say you're exactly right there that the, the three pillars that are fundamental to whether you're going to see results um, in your whatever condition you're experiencing is that you must trust and believe it, that you have the ability to self-heal. You must trust and believe that you have the um, that you've chosen the right treatment path and trust and believe in the healer or practitioner that you choose. If one of those are out, I don't think the results are necessarily as good. You're touching on a really, really vital and central point of, of my mantra there, which is actually trusting that the body has the ability to heal. I mean, that's the central tenant of chiropractic, isn't it? That that there is a, a healing intelligence within that actually does the work. The, the practitioner aligns it. Well, maybe you could explain that much better than I can. You're the practitioner. <laughs> No, you're exactly right that we've got this healing intelligence that runs through us, our innate intelligence. We have this ability to self-regulate, heal and develop. So just to briefly explain that, for example, if you cut yourself, we have the ability to self-heal. We don't need to use conscious thought. We have signal down from our brain, runs down our spinal cord, sends signals out to heal that paper cut, for example, without conscious thought. If you break a bone, again, you don't use conscious thought. We have the intelligence that runs through us to redevelop that bone. Um, and if, let's say, we get too hot, we don't consciously think we must cool down, we must cool down. Uh, our, our nervous system, again, regulates that so that it will bring our temperature back to balance. And that's constantly running through us. And so, yeah, chiropractic works with that premise that if the brain is signaling down through the spinal cord that comes through the spine and out to different parts of the body is being interfered with in some way, which we feel a lot of the time can be associated with spinal misalignments that inhibit that flow, then yes, we reduce our ability to be able to self-heal, develop and regulate. And what sort of thing actually causes these misalignments to happen in the first place? Is this just purely a lifestyle thing that, you know, one's not sitting properly or not exercising enough or, or are there other components that, that force the body to go out of alignment? There are many different factors and it comes under three things fundamentally, how, how we move, how we eat, how we think. So starting with move, so the physical side of things, the most common now is that we live in this epidemic of 
poor posture in the way we sit. <laughs> yeah, sit up straight, exactly. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> bringing conscious awareness there. Um, yeah, so nowadays, you know, we sit on phones, we're on tablets, laptops, driving our car, always in a forward position. And this moves the bones out of, out of alignment, as well as physical traumas, knock bumps, falls, etc. Down to even back to the, the birthing process or the position within the uterus as well can start as early as that uh, in the forming of the, the skeletal system um, and sport injuries and so on. Then we've got the chemical side of things. What we're putting inside our body impacts um, uh, alignment of the spine. So if we're eating foods that are have toxins or they can trigger the stress hormone response in our body and literally begin to mo- move the position of the bones. And uh, also uh, yeah, toxins in the air, etc. And then our thoughts. Our mind has a huge connection to the body. Stress, one of the biggest triggers to misalignments of the spine, holding tension through the body, pulling us into a forward position. Um, so, yeah, there are, are multiple components. Yeah, I was really fascinated with the, um, the YouTube video about the power poses um, that, that seemed to really, really, you know, it was the first pretty much conclusive scientific evidence that, that your posture and your emotional state are interrelated and, Everybody knows the sort of depressed person who might be sitting a bit hunched over, but it was a revelation to me that if you actually change your posture, you could then change your mood, which is looking at it in a much more positive way. Is, is, is posture something that a chiropractor actually teaches as well as, you know, teaches a client as well as actually just physically putting the body back into a straight line? Uh, a lot of chiropractors, chiropractors, yes. I mean, again, this is down to the individual practitioner. This is something that I um, specialised in, in in my practice in postural correction. Um, and I, in the later years of my practice, specialised in a specific technique that I personally found to be the most effective in correcting posture longer term as well, which was called Advanced Biostructural Correction, or ABC for short. But Absolutely. This is this is something that um, I don't feel can be separated. You can see short term relief with adjustments to relieve pain, but without correcting chronic postural conditions, then you're not going to you are likely to see reoccurrence in issues and other spin offs from it. Because exactly like you described in the science shows now that open posture improves oxygenation to the brain, to the rest of the body, blood flow to all of our organs. It takes pressure off the base of the brain. So improves signaling from brain to body, makes us more alert, etc. So there are so many different factors. Uh, sorry, um, so many different elements that posture is impacting. And yes, a lot of chiropractors will focus on postural correction. So wearing your chiropractor's hat, what, what would you, um, do you have like a couple of recommendations? I always like to give our listeners some, some really practical advice. You know, we're all about self-empowerment. So, I mean, of course, first of all, if, if you feel that um, a chiropractor is somebody that, that could help you with a condition of suffering, please go ahead and, and try and find one. But what are a couple of things that you could recommend for people that they could maybe do alone at home to actually um, improve their, their physical health? I think the first one would just to be um, aware of the connection with from with our posture to um, conditions and alertness even, um, and just to take regular breaks from sitting. You know, we, we're sitting so often now. I would just set a little alert, for example, on your phone every 20, 30 minutes. Take a break from whatever position you're in. Go get a glass of water, come back. It can be as little as 10, 30 seconds just to make sure that you're getting that continuous movement through your spine. 
because every time you break your posture, you're getting, again, blood flow, the muscles are being used, you're stimulating your brain. So regular breaks from sitting and simple things you can even do in a chair is just to look up towards the ceiling, reaching your hand, one hand up towards the ceiling as high as you can, and then alternating it with the other as if you're climbing up. It's a very good way to stimulate all the postural muscles at the back and it will give your brain a boost um, and you'll, you'll often see a notice in your energy, uh, difference in your energy levels. So break from sitting, reaching up overhead would be the first thing to do. That's a great couple of tips there. Really, really something easy that, that one can actually just remember. As the alert on the phone thing is brilliant. I actually do that myself because it's yeah, so right. easy to get engrossed and mm. then you suddenly realise two hours has gone past and you haven't moved. Moved and very, very quickly, our muscles begin to atrophy within the space of an hour. It starts to change. I think that's what the stat is now. So, as little as little thing that changes that can make a huge difference. That's presumably also an age related issue, though. That presumably gets much worse as you get older, as well, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. So at the very beginning of the interview, we talked about the fact that you had been um, working as a chiropractor in your own practice for, for many years, but somehow you moved away from that. Um, what, what was that all about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Why, why was chiropractic not um, fulfilling your needs 100%? Um, chiro- it's a good question. Chiropractic has been wonderful to me and particularly finding ABC because the results were transformational in the clients. Built an incredible community of people that I absolutely loved um, and it was wonderful. But I always had this feeling inside as if there was some different path I was I was meant to take with it. Not to come completely away from chiropractic and this self-healing ability of the body, but just in a different form. And the catalyst to that for me was my partner's mum getting diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And this, it was again, a myth buster really about this, you know, what we're eating um, and smoking and all the things that we think that then are causes of cancer. Yes, um, that is the case. But my partner's mum was one of six and the quote unquote healthiest within that family. All the others drank, smoked, ate fatty foods, a lot of them diabetic, heart, heart disease. She was the healthiest, fittest, got adjusted regularly, yet still was the only one to manifest cancer somehow within her body. And so this just started me questioning why? Why is this the case? Why her? And it just deepened the idea of the mental, emotional, spiritual component of our health and whether we manifest disease and this is something I just wanted to explore more deeply for myself and also to be able to give something more to my patients or clients then and in the future because I was finding again and again within the practice as well people coming in with physical conditions they would see improvements however stress that was going on with their life was impacting them in so many different ways whether it was within their internal self-belief or peace within themselves, their relationships in their life, job satisfaction, so many different spin-offs. And so I wanted to explore that a lot more. So I took time away to do that. And what kind of conclusions are you beginning to draw? Um, uh, presumably, you know, you're of the opinion that, that mind has a lot more influence over the body than, than we've taken for granted for many years, reductionist 
physics and chemistry and biology have actually kind of told us that the two things are completely separate, but that is just not the case, as we all know. So what are your insights? I think that more than ever, I believe there is just no separation. We've said mind and body, body and mind, but they're one. I, I just think body, mind, mind, body is one, one unit. And however we are, the beliefs that we have in our mind, the thoughts that we think are manifesting everything that is going on within our body and the reality that we're creating outside of that. And so I, I just wanted to, I went to explore this more deeply for myself um, in that I'd done all this work in helping my nutrition, fitness, getting adjusted, etc. But I still felt that there were in, incongruencies, in a sense, within my own life um, and things that I felt were almost out of my control emotionally, going down the route of really how can I take full ownership of that and realizing that everything that I think and believe is manifesting my my surroundings so um, I went to study a lot of the work of John Demartini which has been a really fundamental part of my own healing and also what I was able to give my patients during the time there um, and Joe Dispenza which you know whom you know very very well I do yeah i Absolute raving fan, um, I'd say. Yeah, so those were the two most fundamental things. And the biggest lessons that I think I got from John Demartini uh, was the concept of duality, of realizing that you can't have a positive without a negative, light without shade, etc. And that we're living in this constant pursuit for a one-sided pursuit of happiness but that there's a divine order in everything. And so that you're going, if you're continuously on the chase for happiness, there's going to be experiences that you're attracting to bring you back to balance towards the other side. Um, and anything that I perceive to be more negative than positive, again, is a distorted perception in my reality. Um, and that so many of us are running these stories of distorted perceptions that, are, that we experience as regrets, resentments, um, or they manifest in, you know, depression, anxiety. Um, and the, the impact of that is uh, ill health within our body. Um, and, you know, with, we withhold love as a result of that. Real connection with ourselves and other people. Um, and, yeah, manifest health issues. So those are some of the basic learnings that I've taken away. Brilliant. I think one thing, though, that, that um, I've come across very much in my practice is uh, when you are dealing with, with clients and you're trying to explain the concepts of empowerment and ownership, that it's a really dangerous path to tread because that can slip over very, very easily into blame. And uh, you can never do that. So how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that when you're dealing with people that they don't fall into the, oh, I made this happen, I'm guilty? Yes, exactly. This is, is a very fine line. And not to be so, you know, maybe I can say those things now with the work that I've done, but it's been many, many years of seed drops. So I'd say with, with clients really was just, um, a process of dropping seeds, starting to ask a different question, not telling somebody with a statement, but to ask a different question. How can you maybe see, see this differently? Let's say if someone had a persistent complaint of something in their relationship or within their job is to 
to, to ask yourself the question, how can I see this differently? Or something that I'm perceiving to be really negative, ask yourself the question, how at this time is this serving me? And just try, just opening the question begins to, I think, uh, you know, um, open a radar to be aware of something that may be different in that. And that's just one seed drop. And then just continues to grow from there. But telling somebody, no, you need to take ownership over that. You're responsible for everything that you're creating isn't helpful. Exactly right. They've got all the past stories so deeply ingrained that you're just butting up against resistance there and is not helpful. So what are you, um, what are some tools that you use for yourself then to actually keep your, your mind open and balanced and seeing both sides of everything, as you say, in this, this place of harmony? The, the most fundamental thing that I've incorporated is a daily practice of tuning into myself. So with I read the book The Miracle Morning I don't know if you've read that book but it's a wonderful one I really recommend everybody read that which is in in a sense a set of routines that you do every single morning so that you can start the day with a good intention one of them being meditation and there are many different forms of that and so it's one that you feel sits with you gratitudes so that every single day I write down or consciously meditate on things that I'm grateful for in my life. And that starts to just program my brain to see it. And, the, you know, every word and thought that we have has a frequency. Um, and gratitude has been found to be one of the purest frequencies that we can ever experience. So training your brain to be grateful every single day, something I found really helpful. Uh, affirmations, if that sits right with you. Uh, and journaling, just free-flowing journaling, any thought that comes through my head, subconsciously, consciously writing it down and having a vent in a way for it. But I found that doing this every day, and this could be just 10 minutes, you could do two minutes of each, or it could be 10 minutes of each and you spend, you know, an hour. It's, it allows me to start the day with a clear focus and intention. I find that everything from there, I feel more in control of my day. I don't feel as though... Everything is happening externally and out of my control. It's as though I have, because I've set that clear intention, I am attracting things in that day that I'm ready for. I've set the intention. I have better connections with people. I feel clearer in my head, less stressed out. Instead of the day running me, I've run the day. But this also just tunes us in, I think, to our own innate wisdom, which I've had evidence of again and again with chiropractic of our own amazing ability to be able to self-heal and find our own answers in, within, tune into our intuition every day. Meditation in the morning, I found very helpful. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people choose to meditate in the evenings because it helps them sleep, mm. but I actually find that, that starting the day off that way is definitely, definitely beneficial. And I think really meditation... In not done right, I don't want to say done right, but in what meditation I think can really give you is energy. It should be energizing afterwards. And so if you're doing it before going to sleep, uh, I'd say that it's a sign that you're, you're needing some form of relaxation and you might find it very different if you try it in the morning. Give it a go and see. That's a really great point. I'd never thought about it that way. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, very good. So 
there must have been something, you know, I mean, you talked about the, the business with your with your um, partner's mother um, making you start asking the questions, but there must have been a really majorly radical shift because things like that um, wouldn't usually make somebody throw their whole life overboard and start from scratch again, which is essentially what you're doing. It's not really from scratch, but it was a really brave move to sell the practice and say, okay, I'm going to look in a different direction. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe go into a bit more detail about that. I mean, it's a good question. And I'm, honestly, I'm not sure I have full clarity on it yet. Um, <laughs> um, I just, I, I answered a soul call. I, I felt within myself, not even just I felt, I was experiencing um, health issues. I started to, to manifest health issues in myself, um, despite the fact that I created everything that I, I had thought I ever wanted. A successful practice, I... The, the people were wonderful. The business model that I had was fantastic. You know, adjusting people, but also doing health talks on how we can all eat, move, think at our at our optimum. Um, I'd you know made the money I wanted. I had the house I wanted in London, etc. But I, what I was finding was, is maybe it was part work life balance, but that I wasn't living com- completely congruently anymore with my message. And so that's when I started to ask why. Why is it that I can be 100% present with a patient in my practice? I can, um, I can get into a space where I feel that I'm just a channel in, in my adjustment delivery. And I have these wonderful connections with people. And it's completely real in that moment. But then I go home and I present a different version of myself. I was angry, irritable, um, and I think distancing myself from people that were closest to me, these are things that I started to ask why, what is that about? I started to experience, I suppose, an irritable bowel, upset stomach, but I was only experiencing that on the days when I was going into the practice, uh, four out of the seven days. On the other three days, no issue at all. So these are the things I started to ask why. Knowing and understanding that our body is constantly giving us signs on whether there are things that we need to look at and that we need to, that we, we could address, I just started to listen to my body. And so I, I started to pose the question, maybe I'm wanting to do something different. But if I went to speak to anybody outside um, of myself about that, everyone would tell me I was mad. I'm going, why? This is everything that you wanted. You've created everything. That's ridiculous. Can't think about selling it. But I felt that that something was, it was knocking up against something within me that felt, felt something different. And so I stopped going externally because literally everybody was telling me I was crazy. And I, I, become, I became much more meticulous about doing my daily rituals. So that to ask myself the question every day in my meditation about what I want in my life path, ask, ask for a sign on what my path was, ask for a sign of what my next move was. And I can't explain why, but I started to get the call I started to get answers and I gave myself comfort in in knowing that this was the right path that I wanted to go and do something different and now I've you know I'm going into podcasting like yourself and maybe it's about a wider reach I felt maybe a restriction in the four walls that I was in 
but I still have not completely unpacked it, if I'm truly honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think it's uh, for all of us, it's a life journey, isn't it? You know, that's, yeah. that's the thing that makes it all so wonderful and exciting is that you're learning more about yourself and the world around you on a daily basis. But I think you've come an amazingly long way relatively early on, you know, when we look around and we see how many people are stuck in a, in a job that they hate, um, but they feel they have so many obligations that they can't possibly step out of that place. I mean, I think it takes an amazing amount of um, self-belief and trust to be able to do that. What, what do you think gave, gives you that feeling of trust? Because, you know, you don't, you don't make a decision to take on something new unless something tells you you've got a chance of succeeding at it. <laughs> <laughs> Or you're just, you know, unbelievably comfortable with stepping into the unknown, which is basically no one. Um, <laughs> despite right. all the um, um, I, I, I'm not sure where it's come from, but I've always had a deep belief and knowing that no matter what, I'll always be okay. Mm-hmm. Even in the hardest times, I just felt deeply that I will always be okay. I, and maybe that was instilled with my family. Um, uh, you know, my mum's always given us opportunity, the, the most opportunities possible to just go after what we want, always instilled in us that we can go and create what we want. Um, or maybe it's a deep survival. I, I'm really, un, I'm really unsure about it. I think maybe through my life, I've experienced a certain level of adversity that, um, I was adopted I came from my biological parents. One was, my mother was Jordanian. My father was uh, Arab-Israeli. I think Arab-Israeli. I was, you know, adopted into uh, an English family. And I think always being a little bit different, knowing that you're different, um, gives you, I don't know, some sort of survival tactic to know that you can be okay without just fitting in with everybody not belonging necessarily to anyone or anything or any place. I think you have to learn the tools to just belong to yourself. And it comes with its trade-offs because then there's a balance between, okay, I'm strong, I can um, take anything on and I will always be okay. But then on the other side of that is shutting people out. Um, And that's been my lesson to learn, I think, is to be able to be vulnerable, to really connect uh, with other people and not block love from other people in that process. But I think probably that's the root of that knowing I'll always be okay. That very nicely actually describes um, um, authenticity. And that's, that's exactly the, uh, the, the title of, of your podcast is Journey to Authenticity. Everybody should sign up, by the way, subscribe. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about that. Where, you know, it's, it is a journey. For you, it's a journey. You said yourself you haven't gotten clarity yet. So you're taking people on the journey with you, which I think is absolutely charming and, uh, and really great. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, what do you hope to get out of this personally and uh, where do you think that journey might go? Well, let's see. Yes, I mean, um, for me, the journey to authenticity really is is about that. It's about, you know, I think closing that gap between, like I say in the podcast, the image that we put out into the world and who we really are on the inside. Um, learning about the masks and the layers that we've put on over the years to protect us, why they've served us, what they're there to teach us, how to unpack them, the 
the mirrors that are shown within the relationships that we have to give you opportunities to heal the unloved parts of ourselves, um, and that's really the the journey that I'm on to to find out who behind all those layers and ask who I am really at the core, um, and to love to learn to love all those parts of myself. And I think it's you know I wanted to have a platform where I could document my journey, and I found podcasting. I thought that was the great answer for that, but also to be able to interview people to ask the questions that I want to know the answers to. And if I think if I want to know the answers to those questions, surely there's going to be other people that also want to know those answers. So that's the way I'm going about it with this, with this podcast and finding out how, you know, we can live in alignment with our values, with our, our unique purpose, how we can connect more deeply within our relationships, how we can manifest health at the highest level, um, and yeah, how we can connect to the spiritual side of ourselves and to something greater than, than ourselves as well. So that's my path. Wonderful. Well, I really, really wish you all the best with that. I think it's a really valuable um, um, lesson for, for many of our listeners to, to take on board that, you know, you don't have to know the answers. You just have to kind of take the next step, right? Yeah, and go on the journey. <laughs> exactly. Just be curious about it and explore. Um, yeah. Exactly. So one, another one of my mantras and actually sort of the, uh, the take home message from, from this podcast is um, uh, looking after mind, body and spirit in order to live healthy for longer. And the way I like to encompass that is health, happiness and serenity, because I think that speaks to all of those. So can you tell me how do you define health and, and what does that mean for you? How do I define health? That is a really good question. I think that if we are fully expressing our innate potential, I think that would be it, fully expressing our innate potential. Um, and, and there's so many factors to that, but I think actually I will leave it at that, fully expressing our innate potential. I'm going to leave it, leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And you talked earlier, for example, that that the pursuit of happiness in itself was perhaps, you know, just tipping the balance to one side. But how how do you define happiness for yourself? Where do you find it? Um, Good question as well. Happiness for me is, yeah, I suppose doing the things that fill my part. Um, And for me, that's... You know, I, I, I like to play, play some sport, um, getting outside in nature, uh, having a great conversation with, with people. Um, I, think, I think that's it. Anything that fills your pot, that's what happiness is. And um, nature and, and community is a very central part, I think, for everybody, but for you too, I take it. Absolutely. I think that now, we, you know, especially in the society and culture that we live in, which is a very much a a numbing type of culture and a living living very much incongruently with what we are innately meant to do um, filling ourselves with foods that block any of that innate intuition and wisdom and blue lights and computers etc that we lose touch um, with the connection that we have with mother earth really and the wisdom that it holds so I think that to no matter even if you're living in the city 
taking time to get out into nature, just to breathe the fresh air, go to the heat. You know, Regent's Park, London is one of the greenest cities that we have. To get outside, go barefoot sometimes, put your feet in the grass, um, touch a tree. <laughs> get really hippie about oh, it. Oh, no, know? the tree huggers. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just to breathe in the fresh air and the wisdom that, that nature has. And I think it reconnects us to the part of us that knows that we are meant for something better and purer. So it's really important to me. And to realise that we are all connected and that's what the community part of London is a place where we are everything everything in in our surroundings programs us to think to believe that we are separate and uh, keep us in a place of fear whereas i think getting out into nature connecting with that mother earth innate wisdom being open to connecting to new people to realize that we have more in common than we have different yeah but i think it's um i think living in a big city is probably the easiest way to become completely isolated ironically you know yeah, yeah. There's no lonelier place than a big city. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so the last one, serenity. You spoke a little bit earlier on about your your morning practice and meditation. How how do you define serenity, and how do you find serenity? It would be through meditation for me, or um, you know, and I use some of Joe Dispenza's meditations. I find very powerful. I also find I also do a um, Wim Hof breathing. I find that that's a great access point point for people that are very busy in their mind mm-hmm. because you're, you're in a sense, you're doing something. It's more active breathing. So check him out, Wim Hof breathing, if you don't, haven't heard of him. Um, and getting into my body and finding that place of peace, that for me is serenity. And it is, it's pushing through the uncomfortable feeling because initially meditation is uncomfortable, I found anyhow. And that when you are been surrounded by business, living the urban lifestyle, all the resistance is there in our mind to stop us from just sitting still. So once you push through the uncomfortable feeling and resistance that can show up in physical form in our body getting really agitated or our mind super busy and you just keep going, concentrate on the breath, that you can find the most pure moment of peace. And that for me is my serenity. That's absolutely beautiful. That's really lovely. If there was one thing that you could get other people to change in their lives to help themselves, what would that be? Um, I think really that to, to give themselves the gift of time. It really is. And it's, it's the most valuable commodity is time. And the per- person that we are least generous with that is ourselves. So give yourself the gift of time every morning at least 10 minutes just for yourself, just to allow yourself to tune in to you, to your own innate wisdom, your intuition, and you'll be amazed the answers it will give you if you just push through the resistance and and are consistent. And don't worry if you go off track. Don't knock yourself for that as well and think, oh, it's a write-off now. Well, there's no point. Just course correct. It's just an opportunity. As soon as you become aware you've gone off course, it's an opportunity to course correct. Again, give yourself the gift of time and tune in wonderful advice and if there was something that Sarah should do every day and change <laughs> what would that be just listen to my own advice honestly to do it consistently because I'm as guilty as anybody else you know is that uh, I, I also go off course and so just to course correct just to not knock myself as well for when I go off course it's just it's okay you, tomorrow's another day or today is another day do it straight away and come back on track again 
that's also great advice. I always think of Alice in Wonderland, you know. My, one of my favourite quotes is, I always give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Exactly, that's the truth. So on that note, Sarah, I'd like to really, really thank you and um, uh, gratefully acknowledge the time that you've spent with us today and also for your courage, because I think that you um, really are showing people that, that um, you know, there, there are other ways, there are more important things for life than, than all the things that we're told are important. And that, that inner peace and inner truth, and I find it actually very interesting that you work as a chiropractor and then are now searching inner alignment. I think the two things are not, dis- <laughs> you know, it's, it's a central theme and I think it's a really valuable and actually vitally important message to get out there. And I really thank you for following your journey to authenticity and allowing us today to share a little bit with that, um, of that journey with you. Thanks so much. Um, and um, could you just finally close up perhaps with telling our um, listeners how they can best get in touch with you or follow you or find out a bit more about you I think really probably would be uh, the best place would be to to tune into my podcast journey to authenticity and um, because that's my documentation of the journey that I'm going on and I'd love for you to come and join me on that journey that'd be wonderful so I think that would be the best way that and would be great for having me on the show it's been wonderful it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much thank you So thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, it was absolutely amazing to have Sarah with us. Very, very inspiring lady indeed. Of course, if you enjoyed this week's episode and want more of the same, please subscribe and leave um, any comments that you that you would like to leave. And of course, tell all of your friends. In the very near future, we're going to be setting up a dedicated website for this podcast where you can actually interact with a community and exchange ideas and information. We'll let you know more about that as it becomes available. So many, many thanks for your time. See you all very soon. And wishing you health, happiness, and serenity.